Welcome, Fivers, to another episode of High Five, the podcast, a movie podcast for people who like other stuff, too. On this week's episode, your hosts Q and Jay dive into some of their favorite movies and hopefully talk about some of your favorites, too. Feel free to yell at your speakers when we ignore your favorites, or you could just tweet at us with your choices, like an adult. Now, let's join Q and Jay in the writer's room as they dive in. Fair warning, this podcast may contain spoilers for movies that came out 20 years ago, but at this point, that's really your fault. And now, on with the show. Hey, Jay. Hey, Q. Jay. Yes? I need you to brace yourself. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Braced. Okay. I don't know if you know this, but... We are actually recording in another dimension right now. What? What? Wait, what kind of dimension? Well, Jay, I'm glad you asked. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Wow. <laughs> high five? Yeah! Should we high five? High five! High five! High five! High five! High five, son! Woo! High five! Don't let me hang it. All right, so <laughs> how'd that feel? It felt amazing. How yeah. did it sound? It sounded pretty darn good. It sounded very surlingy. Watch out, Jordan Peele. Take that, Joe Peele. I'm co- I'm coming for you. You stick to us and get out. You get out of the way. How about that? Yeah, you get out of us's way. <laughs> because exactly, because I'm coming through. We're gonna high five the podcast. Is officially taking over the Twilight Zone reboot. Us. <laughs> Key and Peel. Yeah. <laughs> just just naming things. He's done. Ducky and Bunny from Toy Story 4. Ah, <laughs> uh, Keanu. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. That's exactly what I was just going to say next. <laughs> hey, Jay, how are you? I am doing good, man. How are you? Things are weird here in the Twilight Zone. They are. There's doors, there's eyeballs, they're all disembodied. <laughs> there's one of those weird drawing, wooden drawing figures that's there just is. like floating about. Yeah, it's like a little Blair Witch figure, just kind of like, boop, right there. Yeah, uh, you know, in watching the Twilight Zone opening, that was the one piece that I was like, what is that What is that even meant to represent? <laughs> like, I get the eye, because it's like the all-seeing eye. Sure, sure. I the get, door like, I get the another place. I get the math equation that floats by, because it's kind of science-based and sure, science fiction-based. Sure, sure. But then when that, like, figure, figure just kind of floats by, yeah. I'm like, and figure drawing studies like what is happening here and poor representations of people (laughs) and art class yeah it's like like i mean obviously it's probably representative but like what tim and eric awesome show great job did at the beginning when it's just like a whole bunch of random like kitties 100 percent. it's like that but 
Rod Serling did it on purpose and just threw one random thing. Well, in I was going to say, in my mind, I like the idea, and I know this isn't how they did it, but I like the idea that they made that by just, like, focusing the camera on a black background and just throwing things in front of the camera. And for <laughs> me, they just, like, ran out of things to throw, That's and they're, like, the- looking around, and they're like, ooh, the animation department. And they grab that and just <laughs> chuck it in front of the camera. Gary, what's on your desk? <laughs> Give it to me. I've got a world's best boss mug. <laughs> That's not really going to fit into the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I've got a Garfield squeeze toy. Nah, no, nah, it's got to be black and white. I got uh, this weird shitty drawing of my aunt that I did. Great. <laughs> Throw it. <laughs> it just like is just a piece of paper that slowly floats to the ground. <laughs> you see someone's, if, if Twilight Zone was poorly produced, you would see someone's hand in frame dropping it. It's like, beep. <laughs> what was that? Uh, what was that movie that came out? That Michelle Gondry movie? Oh, Be Kind Rewind. Oh, yeah. A while back, where they did the sweeted versions of things, which were just yeah. like the cheap and quick way to do. What if we just did a sweeted version of all Twilight Zone episodes? That would be so funny. <laughs> There's are- something on the wing, like, and it just. But cuts- I'm in, and, and I am. I'm in an apartment room. Yeah, just looking out the window, <laughs> and I'm just outside in a furry like coat, just like. <laughs> I like this. We, <laughs> we need like to this do this a whole lot. Listen, uh, Fivers, if anybody has filmed any low budget versions of Twilight Zone episodes, please send them to us. Yeah. Tag us in them. We want to see all of your shitty Twilight Zone <laughs> interpretations. I'll make you a. I'll make you a promise, Fivers. If you send us a video of a shitty Twilight Zone reenactment that you've done, Q and I will do a shitty reenactment of your shitty reenactment of a Twilight Zone episode. We're going to have reenactmentception. Yes, we are. It's just going to go way down. While and time's going to feel super slow. <laughs> While we're doing a shitty reenactment of your shitty reenactment, it your shitty reenactment will be playing on a television screen behind us doing your shitty reenactment. <laughs> and then somewhere Leonardo DiCaprio's fallen into a bathtub. It's true. That's somewhere. how those things work. Somewhere. Just somewhere. <laughs> Just in somewhere. So, Jay, before you crossed over into the Twilight Zone with yeah. me, or as I should say it, into the Twilight Zone with me. Ooh, that one was good, man. That was pretty good, I got right? you in the headphones and everything. That sounded good. <laughs> Imagine what the people who are maybe listening to our show feel. My mom's going to be real happy with that. It's crazy. She's going to be like, oh, I'm having flashbacks to 1950. <laughs> oh, Rod. <laughs> that's not at all what my mom sounds like. But from now on, that's the impression of my mom. Oh, it's Rod. She's like, is it 1959 again? <laughs> She's, my, my mother is a, an old TV headmistress of an all-girls school. <laughs> oh, girls, let's watch Twilight Zone. <laughs> and she has Kermit arms for some reason. <laughs> and, just kind of like, whoa, whoa, that perpetually flail above her head when jay why are you saying so many things (laughs) um so hey man before we stepped into the twilight zone uh what have you been up to man you know it's been a busy week it's been um you know it's the week before we're actually recording this before the academy awards tonight did you Um, know that it qualifies us to be up for a nomination because we're getting it in right before it airs okay good i I was hoping that that would be the case. I yes. think definitely we're going to deserve a nod somewhere in, yes. in the sound editing world yes. or, you know, at least cinematography. Our podcast is chock full of great, great cinematography that if you guys could see it, you'd be blown away by it. I heard we were up for best Q&J. 
<laughs> we we are. We're up for best Q and J. Um, we have some uh, stiff competition that we're going against. Quincy Jones is up this year. So you know it's it's hard. It's but, us versus Quincy Jones, and it's still going to be an uphill battle. Right. We've got Queen and Juicy J are both up for um, up for nods as well. But I really yeah. think that we can um, we can bring the the award home this year. We we can pull it out. Uh, I really think we can. I think we can knock this down. We can bring that statue home for <laughs> once. Be, high yep. five the podcast getting the Academy Award recognition that we so dearly deserve. They're airing our clip during uh, the credits, <laughs> and for some reason during the in Moriam. Yeah, in, they're actually in, airing it in, during the Puppy Bowl next year. <laughs> right, yes, yeah. They are, um, you know, and then we're going to be in all of the in-memoriams because they're just going to try and get us to go away. Right. Well, they're doing that thing where they just, that like they did Forrest Gump in Forrest Gump movie, and they're just digitally inserting us into right. famous scenes with dead actors. <laughs> right, yes. Kind of like you do on our Instagram with, you know, where we're just inserted into <laughs> things. It's exactly like I do on our Instagram. They took a note from our Instagram, and they were like, wow, you know what? This is great it actually pays tribute to these fantastic films and these guys are very attractive yeah so yeah. we should just there's no other reason that they're doing it other than they're like we should put these guys faces and things yeah just look at this look at hey these. just, just <laughs> hey this. america check Let's this out look at this just look at this would you would you look at that <laughs> would you just look at it well, um, but no, seriously, of, what have you been say, up to? Speaking of looking at things, uh, I mean, honestly, because it's been Academy Awards, we've been trying to catch up on our Oscar movies. So for me, uh, we've been spending a lot of time trying to catch up on stuff. So we watched um, A Star is Born. Ooh. Uh, Ooh hold on. Let's oh. not blaze past that. Okay. What did you think about that? Because I saw that one in the theater. <coughs> in I the theater. It, I thought it was fine. What? I thought, okay, okay, here, let me let me back up. And and talk about like the different layers of it. Okay, I thought the songs were pretty, were really good. Yes, okay. like the songwriting in it, the way that you know the musical cues were used, I thought was great. Sure, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga destroyed it. Yes. I thought they both did extremely well. Sam Elliott was next level good. Totally. Sam Elliott, like honestly, my favorite scenes, the two scenes that I love the most were the Sam Elliott, you sold dad's farm scene yep. and the I'm driving you home from rehab. I always worshiped you, not dad scene. And then the, the, the idea to keep the camera on Sam Elliott as he pulls out of the driveway faster than any human should. It, like while crying. Yep. Be beautiful. He was at his most Sam Elliott-ness. It was, in it that was, movie. He, he was great. Aside from those few things, I thought the rest of the movie was fine. Like really? the first fifty minutes, I thought was spectacular. Sure. Like them getting together, um, her career kind of starting, him, you know, getting her into his world. I felt like they rushed the end. Really, I, I felt I did. I, I thought, and you know, let's call a spoiler when a spoiler is is near. Um, I thought the end of him killing himself okay. was incredibly excruciating and long. I okay, that I will acknowledge. Like the scene with the dog laying down outside of the garage door, just awful. Like the whole setup, it felt yeah. so methodical and it did. I just there's something there's a part of me that I didn't buy his downward spiral 
as fast as they wanted me to believe it. So, like, he came back from rehab. He was clean, had one mean conversation with Lady Gaga's manager, and then killed himself. I, there needed, I think there needed to be something else in there, because especially if you're looking at the previous versions, um, all of the previous versions of this movie have him getting back from rehab and then getting arrested again after falling off the wagon for some reason. You know, and then he gets arrested. Then he kills himself to not cause his wife the more embarrassment Can of a public <clears throat> arrest. Let me let me posit something. Sure, that, sure. Um, because I interpreted it a slightly different way. Oh yeah, let's so hear it. I interpreted it in that, and I don't know if you have ever dealt with. You know, and this may be a heavy subject. If anybody's ever dealt with depression or suicidal tendencies, or someone else who has suicidal tendencies. Uh, definitely speak out about it, get help, all of that. That being said, first and foremost, I'm not making light of suicide. No, no, not at all. It's not jokey. Um, What I do want to say is sometimes um, in our popular culture, there has been a recent um, word that has kind of come up more often than not now, and that is triggered. And triggered has kind of lost its meaning in that, you know, now kids jokingly will see something that they don't like or whatever, and they'll be like, oh, triggered. I got triggered, yeah. But from a psychology standpoint, what triggered actually refers to is a single instance that can pull the trigger on your mental state, and you can go from euphorically happy to instantly suicidal. Sure. And I think in that movie they represented and gave foreshadowing enough that suicide is something he had attempted previously. Yeah, and they mentioned like the, the belt and the fan. Like right. they talked about that earlier. They definitely set that up for sure. Um, alcoholism is a, is a scary, dangerous slope that I have witnessed multiple times firsthand. Um, and I think sometimes people think that when alcoholics stop drinking, they get better. Hmm. And oh, yeah. sometimes more often than not, when alcoholics stop drinking, their mental state gets incredibly worse um, because now they're dealing with all of these things that they haven't been equipped to deal with thanks to being covered up by alcohol. So when I watched this movie and I watched his quick um, degradation from the the conversation he had with her manager... I think, for me, it rang true because he immediately knew in that moment that he will forever, despite her love, be nothing but a burden on her career is how he felt. That he will always be stifling her. And I think in that moment, that's why he quickly said, you know what, there is no place for me in this world. Like, there is no place for me with her, and she will never leave me. So I need to do something about it. I think it was him being selfish, selfless and selfish at the same time. I can 100% agree and get on board with that. And honestly, I think Bradley Cooper sells that in his performance. I guess, I guess for me is in the pacing and the editing. And this was more of a constructural thing. It wasn't sure. really the acting because like I said, Bradley Cooper kills it. I think I feel what he wants me to feel when he wants me to feel it. Sure. There was just something about the end is that I knew what they wanted me to feel, and I just wasn't there. 
That's fair. And and I think that it had more to do with the pacing of the movie than really any of the performances or any of the other elements. The other thing that – and I'm curious on your opinion on this because okay. this was something that kind of bothered me on, on with A Star is Born is sure. that it felt like – it felt like in Bradley Cooper's dialogue and the way the movie was positioning some of the moves that Lady Gaga's career took – that they were positioning her as saying the bubblegum pop star princess persona that you have is not the who you are and is not real music and not who you need to be. That they may they seem to be making that point, especially with how just outlandish the lyrics of the like it's so hot in your ass jeans or whatever. Yeah. They seemed to be making that point. And then it just never got resolved well, to me. The- the way I took it was that because I see I thought that too, but I think the realization was is that's what she actually wanted. That's what she wanted to be. But they, she doesn't say that. Well, she kind of does because he's making he like gives her a hard time about her lyrics and she defends them saying like like at no point is she she is open and okay with the sellout. He is not. Do you sure. see what I'm saying? Like, she welcomes it and wants it. He sees it as artistic suicide, sure. you know, for lack of a better term. And she doesn't – that's kind of – I feel like their defining break is when he realizes that she is embodying the fraud that he actually is. I mean, maybe that's, a, Sam, that's a very interesting way to put and that. And Sam Elliott brings it up to him that, you know – he stole his life. You know what I'm saying? Like he, these things that he sings about, he's full of shit. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, he's like, I am the real deal, but he's not, he's just no. another rocker who is using a, um, he's pandering to that demographic sure. and she's doing the same thing, but I think it draws it, in parallel to his character so close that he lashes out and is like, fuck you. You're just, you're just a fake piece of shit. I will, I will say, let me put it this way. If I had gotten that from the way the movie was put together, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Cause I'd have been like, this movie was fucking awesome, but fair. I did not get that. I appreciate that interpretation and see the value and truth in it. Sure. But I did not get that from watching it. That's But fair. I love that you said it because now I can hear it and be like, you know what? Q is smarter than this movie. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, thanks. <laughs> I'm that's this just solidifies why you and I are nominated yeah. for an Academy Award this year. We are best Q discussion about a star is born by Q and J by Q and J by a, a Q and J. It's a narrow category. Cause I don't know how often Quincy Jones has talked in public about a star is born, but I don't know. It's just, yeah, to your point, that would be if I had gotten that from the movie. I just don't. I don't think it was there. I think you're reading it and it's accurate <laughs> and true and real to life, and that's what the movie should have been. That's but fair. I don't know if it's there. That's actually really high praise. I sincerely appreciate that. Thank you very much. <clears throat> but so, so that's where I am. I don't think it was bad by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. Do you think it should be best picture or no. nominated? No. It falls to me into what we talked about last week. Like, I would have much preferred eighth grade over this. I think that had a lot more nuance sure. and actually gets his message across. I would have preferred Hereditary. Honestly, some of the ones we even left out last week, like um, First Man or First Reformed, I thought either of those firsts could have been in place of 
a handful of these movies that what were about, nominated. What about the uh, Bradley Cooper's best actor nod? Totally. I'm on board for that one. That okay. one I'm fine with. Because like I said, Cooper and Gaga killed it. I think the music things they're nominated for, the sound editing, um, I think that, you know, the best actor, best actress. Scream- all... Screenplay? No. Adapted screenplay, sure. You okay. know? Honestly, adapted screenplay I'm fine with because this is the fourth time this movie's been adapted and it's still entertaining and still sure. finds a way to stay true to our culture. And, and that's current impressive. and relevant. Yeah. That's impressive. So yeah, totally. sure. But cinematography, no. I don't think it did anything special with the way that frames were shot. It kind of looked like a music video. It kind of looked it kind of looked like a movie. Like Right. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. Like a well-shot way. movie. Yeah. It looked like it looked like a movie. It looked like a good movie. Right. Um so, uh, yeah, I think it deserved a handful of the ones that it got. Best picture and best cinematography, probably not. But that's just my opinion. That's fair. All right. So, not to, I didn't mean to like uh, no, no, take I, all I, your time on that one, but I wanted I to. Love that, I love that we dove in on it. Um, the other one that I saw that's a complete flip for me is Roma. Ooh, okay. And I have not seen that. Holy crap, Roma's good. Really? <laughs> holy shit, Roma's Now, that's good. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron? Yes. It okay. is. Um, and this is, I would say this is more like e, e, Mambo Tambien or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, e tu ah. Mama Tambien. Thank you. It's more in the vein of that movie, like feel and tone and pacing. Uh-huh. But man, it's beautiful. It's in black and white. It's subtitled. It is, but just every shot in it looks beautiful. Everything, almost every scene could feels like it could be framed, you know, like on a wall somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, the acting is incredible. The The writing is great. Um, it there, I mean, there, there are artistic, like art film elements to it. Um, the opening credits take a little long to get going. Um, but honestly it was just so like everything you want in a best picture, like from the cinematography to the writing, to the directing, to the acting, to it, not having big stars in it, everything. What is, what is the, um, concept (coughs) of that movie? Like without what's, give me a short synopsis. Like it is, is, it takes place in the early 1970s. Mm-hmm. And it is a year in the life of a housemaid in Mexico City. Hmm. Okay. And so it's kind of the housemaid type situation where it's like a rich family of a doctor and this maid and the other maid live in like a little bungalow off to the, you know, in the compound. And they just live there, take care of the family, take care of the things. And it's what she goes through in that year and what the family goes through in that year and whether or not it will change their relationship. Oh amidst like you know different political things going on and sure. personal things going on and actually alfonso Cuarón wrote it and based it off of his childhood nanny and the stories that she would tell him about her life interesting and so he wanted to visualize and honor the life that she led through with this movie and it's I- I'm into that. That sounds awesome. So good. And, and that's it's, streaming on Netflix right now. It right? is. It is. I okay. mean, it was distributed by Netflix. It's one of the things that a lot of people are mad about is it didn't really get a good um, theatrical run because Netflix is so weird about that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, But it clearly got some sort of theatrical run because it's up for an Oscar. Yeah, it got enough. Um, but, man, I, I recommend it. I mean, and there are parts of it that you're kind of watching – and you're like, man, this is like about 15 or 20 minutes of the daily grind of her just cleaning this rich person's house. But everything is so authentic and real, and it just it's so encapsulating. It's just very enthralling. I love that. Okay, so, so deserves its best picture nod. Deserves all the ones that it got. Yeah, okay. for sure. Awesome. Um, 
And then at Eternity's Gate, fine. That was one it, that I had. I was not too familiar with. I know you said that uh, Willem Dafoe's up for a Best Actor. He is. He deserves that. Okay. Um, and it's pro- it's probably it's probably realistic and good that it's not nominated for anything else. I mean, the director of it, I forget the guy's name, but he's the guy. Did you ever see the movie The Diving Bell and the Butterfly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. About the writer who was like yeah. paralyzed except for his eye. It's the same director. Oh, so okay. you know kind of some of the art house flares that that director sure. has where it's like, hey, I'm going to show 15 seconds of a guy staring at his feet or whatever. Exactly. There's a lot of that in this movie, and there's a lot of Willem Dafoe as Van Gogh walking through countrysides of Arles, France, Got and it. you know, painting landscapes. Um, Willem Dafoe learned how to paint like Van Gogh for it, so he holds the pen, like the brush the, the, That's the cool. same way. The problem is Van Gogh died when he was 37. Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe does not look 37. Sure, not at, at all. At all. Um, and then Oscar Isaac's in it as Gauguin, and he's completely, like, not talked about. And he's really good in it. Like, kind of wasted in the film, but really, like, good. He's Oscar Isaac, you know? Right, sure. Um, the movie itself is fine. Like I said, there's a little too much of that art house. And, and it's weird because just naval, talking about— That navel-gazing? A little of. bit. And it's weird because I just talked about Roma, and Roma has a lot of that, but it— it's better. It works. Like, Quran knows how to use that. Um, and, man, the tracking shots in, in Roma, dude, there are so many just, like, single-take long shots that are beautiful, beautiful from beginning. It's just great. And Quran is a master at that. I love um, it. But, yeah, like, at Eternity's Gate, it's fine. Watch it if you liked The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. If you want to see Willem Dafoe, like, act his ass off, watch it. Um, other than that, it's just a fine film. Nice. Willem Dafoe's awesome. The rest of the movie is, meh, whatever. So fine with his nod and (coughs) fair that nothing else got nodded for in that movie. Correct. All right. So that's where I am. But honestly, I'm I'm very curious on a handful of things. One, I know a movie you've told me you've seen. Mm -hmm. And two, last week you were about to see like the favorite and a handful of others. And Uh I never heard back from you on what you've watched this (laughs) week. That's because I didn't watch them. (laughs) I had assumed as much, but I also was fearful that you're like, man, Joey said he really liked the favorite and I watched it and hated every minute of it. And I just don't want to tell him. No, that's kind of my plan today is to catch up on some before. Um, unfortunately, as you know, we live those crazy, busy podcaster lives. We do, man. Um, so we're constantly just, you know, taking meetings with Hollywood royalty and, you know, running around and doing lunches and yeah, ri- writing comic books and we're, television uh, shows and. Taking uh taking deli meetings with Mick G, you know that he stiffs we- us on the bill for Mick G. You still owe me for your roast beef sandwich. Oh Mick God, I can't believe it. <laughs> um, but I did manage to make it out to the theater, the theater, to see. Uh, Haley and I made it out to see the follow-up to one of our most mad films ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, which one? Oh, wait, this is the one you told me about. This is yeah. Happy Death Day Happy or whatever? Happy Death Day to you. Okay, I have to let me preface this with my question. I do not care if you spoil anything for me or Great. anyone listening. Great. Two, everyone online <laughs> seems to be talking about how much they love this movie, and yeah. Q... It keeps going back to them saying that if you liked the first one, this is just an extension of the fun. Uh-huh. We didn't like the first one. Mm-mm. Are we wrong? Okay, here's the deal. So, I, ah! I 
didn't I I did not like the first one, but I didn't hate the first one. It was fine. You and I talked that there were a bunch of missed opportunities. Um, it was one of those that for me, like you talk about all the time, it like came close to being good, but they just like no. fumbled at all of the like cool things that they could have done. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think my feeling on Happy Death Day is the same as your feeling for A Quiet Place, is that I don't think if it had gotten so much praise, I would have cared that much. I've been like, yeah, okay, fine, great. I'm glad I'll watch that. But everyone was like, this is a reimagining of the horror lifestyle. And this exactly. is Groundhog Day caliber filmmaking. And it wasn't. Like, no. And because they talked about it that way, it angered me that I was like, no, don't you compare this to Groundhog Day. How dare you? So I'll give you an accurate representation of where these two movies fall on the scale. Okay. Happy Death Day is meh, right? Okay. Happy Death Day to you is a fucking pile of garbage. Really? It is almost unwatchable. Seriously? Because so many people like it, Q, to fit your position. and here's the deal. You know me. I do. I I dig time travel movies. Mm -hmm. I love Groundhog's Day type movies. I watch- Alternate dimensions. Like, it's fun. Like, we like Twilight Zone. This episode's about Twilight Zone. We like that shit. Exactly. I um I watched Russian Doll recently. That is fucking brilliant. Like a brilliant take on this kind of concept. <coughs> but here is the deal. Happy Death Day to you is not a movie. <laughs> it is 100% a string of set pieces that the director while making Happy Death Day was like that'd be cool to see that. Ooh, I got this crazy idea. What like you know when actors give their own unwarranted backstory to characters when I filming do. a movie? I do. That is what this director did while filming a movie that he did not write, which was Happy Death Day. And then he went and wrote Happy Death Day to you and directed it. So the script for Happy Death Day to you was basically just his notes file on his iPhone of things that he titled things that would be cool for Happy Death Day. Yes. And then he made it. Here's the problem. One, the trailer is 100% misleading. Man, tra- we, okay. Have you we watched ta- the trailer? I've watched the trailer, and one of the things we talked about trailers being spoilery. We don't need to do a whole episode on trailers that are misleading, but I hate that. Like when you're like, I'm going in for this romp comedy action movie with so-and-so, and and then you get there and it's like a deep family horror drama or whatever. So first off, let me tell you, they have totally abandoned the slasher genre, which is fine, which is fine. And I am totally on board with that because I feel logically thinking that's kind of where the story should move. I want to know more about the metaphysical and how, why this is happening. But they also set up in the trailer that the film is centered on their Asian friend that is in the first movie. Right, the roommate. And about the first ten minutes of the movie is. And then it is, he is just gone from the movie. Seriously? Is it back to tree? It's back to tree. The whole movie is about tree again. And not not only is the whole movie about tree, but it's once again about her relationship with her fucking dead mother. About tree of life. Yes. So once again, it's about her dead mom. Of course. Now, here's the deal. Here's what has happened, okay? The f- smart Asian friend, or the f- Asian friend from the beginning, has him and his lab partners at their college that they all go to school at. Right. Have built basically a time loop generator. So kind of like um, uh, Primer. 
Yes. And this time loop generator, but that's that wasn't its intended purpose. It was intended to be like a energy power mm. source. Okay. It went off and is what caused movie number one. Oh, so their thing malfunctioned and caused tree to be in a time loop. Yep. So that How, why tree? So How here's did the it pr- pick tree. Here's the pro. It picked everyone. Everybody's stuck in a time loop. Oh, but we just happen to be watching her her story. But here's the problem, and her character actually says something during the movie. The first movie, its only emotional weight was that it felt like she had to do a series of things to break the time loop. Or she to had be a better person, or she something. Act, right. She had to be a better person. She had to accept her mother's death was the yeah. biggest thing. Yeah, and solve her murder. That is what caused her character to go on the journey. And I use the term journey very fucking loosely. But I'm saying that is that was the only character depth in that movie. Yeah. This movie, by saying, oh, it's not just her, it's everybody, and none of her actions actually had anything to do with the fact that it was a time loop, totally negates the entire first movie. Well, and also, if... And let me ask you, do they address the fact that if it's everybody, then everybody would have the knowledge that the day is repeating just like Tree did, and no one in that first movie knows the day is repeating? Here's how they fix that. Okay. It's all multiple dimensions. So everybody is in their own pocket dimension experiencing the day over and over again. So is this movie, are we watching another one of those pocket dimensions? So here's, here's the plot of this movie. The kid come the Asian kid comes in in the trailer, busts in the room with Tree and the her guy from the first movie, and is like, guys, I just had the weirdest case of deja vu. You see all this in the trailer. And she's like, You did. Did you die? And then everything started over again? And he's like, Yeah. Which that does happen at the beginning of the movie. She's like, Oh my god, tell me what you did. And he's like, Well, I think it has to do with this reactor thing that we built. And she's like, Take me to it. So they go to it, and there's this whole big story about how the the thing is causing blackouts, and the principal wants to shut it down. So in the midst of the principal running in to shut it down, they activate it again, and it blasts her into another one of the pocket dimensions. Oh. Okay. A pocket dimension where her mother didn't die, and... Her boyfriend guy from the first movie is now dating that shitty chick from the sorority that she hates. The, like, the head sorority girl? Yes, yes. So, wait, so is this Flashpoint? Is yes. Is this the DC version of Flashpoint? Yes. Hey, your dead parent is now not dead and everything's different. So then... And Batman is, is, is uh, Thomas Wayne. Do you know what the new emotional choice is at the end of the movie? Whether to stay in this dimension or go back. Because in this dimension, her mom's here, but she doesn't have a boyfriend. Ah. And if she if she could go back, then her mom would be dead, but she'd be in love. And she chooses love. Well, of course she does, because that's how these things work. So, this movie would have been super brave to be like, fuck it, I'm going to stay here. Exactly. And like, just everything just gets destroyed at the end. Like, well, and you can't honest- stay in your another <coughs> That would be reality. cool. Or, I mean, your mom's alive. You could just break up dude and her girlfriend. Totally. Or dude and his girlfriend. You can't totally. break up your mom's death. No. But here's the that other Grim problem. Grim Reaper already got her. Here's the other problem. Uh, the whole crux of the beginning of this movie is a killer is killing the wait, Asian th- Wait, wait, wait. There's a killer? Yep. Oh, just wait. 
the killer is killing an a- the Asian friend now. So you're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Who in who's in a baby mask trying to kill the Asian friend? Right. Why why is Tree's roommate trying to kill him too? So they so they knock out the killer and they unmask him. This is all in like the first 15 minutes. Guess who it is? It's the Asian friend. Sweet. He's trying to kill himself. Is it from another dimension? Yes. He got displaced from another dimension, <laughs> and he's trying to kill himself because that's the only way to fix the time loop. But guess what? That story never pops up again. That's it. He doesn't get to kill himself. There are two of him when this next explosion happens, and then the movie just forgets about them so, so, and follows Tree for the rest of the movie. So when Tree goes, well, okay, are they setting that up because when Tree goes to the other dimension, there's two of her? You're nope. shaking your head before I finish nope. the question. there is not. Well, then why are there two? Why did Asian friend come over when he did it, and then when Tree goes over, she uh-huh. there's not two of her? Yep. Why? <laughs> it, yep. <laughs> Why indeed? Okay, well, I don't like this. Okay, so, yeah, there's no point of it. There's no reason there is never a second tree. And it is never referenced again that they, other than the fact that she took the place of the tree that was in her universe, meaning her, that tree got displaced somewhere else, still doesn't explain how did the two Asian friends end up in the same universe? Right. Why is that? And why does that matter? Yeah. Well, it does if if killing the Asian friend would have reset the whatever, then that should be the it. It's like um, it's like a oh shit. What's the the guy? It's like Chekhov's clone. <laughs> like oh boy, if but you introduce they... a clone at the beginning that has to kill its other clone to set the time continuum right, that has to be the gun you pull off the mantle at the end of the movie. Turns out this this director not a writer, so. Oh. Shocked. Then again, check this out. This is amazing. At the end of the movie, okay, while Uh they're trying to reset the timeline, they're basically, she makes the decision, okay, I'm going to say goodbye to my mom and I'm going to go back to my timeline. She she realizes that now she's got to stop. Do you remember her nurse friend that gets killed at the hospital when that serial killer escapes or whatever? It was super convoluted. Uh, I remember there was a serial killer that her nurse friend had framed Okay. To be the killer because she was making poison cupcakes. Well, in this universe, her nurse friend is not the killer. And instead is just working at the hospital. Her nurse friend is having the affair with the professor that she was having the affair with in the first movie. So she's... Oh, so she's having the affair she wanted to be having in the yes, first movie. correct. And which is the reason she killed Tree. Correct, correct. So in this one, she didn't. And so Tree is like, I've got to save her in this universe. I can't let her get killed when the serial killer gets out. Why would the serial killer get out? I don't know, because she was the one who let the serial killer out in the first movie. So it doesn't make sense as to how he would get loose again in this universe. Right, he wasn't tracking her. No. And Tree killed her. So if she wanted to save her, she should just not kill her. Exactly, right? But that doesn't matter, because this movie doesn't matter when it makes <laughs> it makes no sense it never matters so here's the deal so she goes to the hospital <laughs> in the world she she finds the serial killer stops him realizes oh wait it's too late the girl is dead then we have the reveal of yet another baby-faced killer Ooh. wait yep it is not so wait, tree is the serial killer 
that she went to the hospital to stop. Is he actually wearing a baby face mask and killing people? Yes. Oh, so. exactly. Okay. So I hurt. Cute. Then, then another baby face mask serial killer shows up, kills tree. Time continuum resets. Sure. She has to go through it all over again. Ready for this? The reveal of the serial killer at the end of the movie that is not about a serial killer. Let me just put that. <laughs> they There are literally two instances at the beginning and end of this movie where they act like this reveal matters. Here's the reveal. It is now the professor from the first movie. He is killing... The tree's roommate? Yes. The girl he is having an affair with. Do you know why? Because his wife found out about it. Wait, okay. there's a double cross. Once they figure out that he is the serial killer, Tree stops him, has him at gunpoint. Her friend is alive in there, the nurse girl. Oh, wait, turns out there's two killers. His wife pops up from behind them and shoots the nurse girl. What? Yeah. So if but there's wait. a third one, if there's <laughs> a wait. third one of these. No, 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 please. Oh. Wait, it gets so much better. The reveal is boom. Wife pops up and is like, we've been doing this. To we were in a gang together, I guess, because we decided to kill her because she's ruining our marriage. Sure. Okay, wait. Then the the teacher, <coughs> literally seconds after this happens, just shoots his wife dead. Uh, to, so which, wait. to which I turn to Haley and I go, was her entire point in this movie to be a surprise killer and immediately get killed? And Haley was like, uh, yep. <laughs> so basically, they're trying to shoehorn in the end of Scream 2 yes! into this movie. Yes. And it's like, no, it was really his mom the whole time. Yes. But then, wait, before Tree went to this hospital, okay, sure. to reenact this whole thing over again, she leaves the science lab where they're working on the project because in the time that she has to go f save this girl and kill the killer... They have to get this system booted up before the principal shuts it down again. There's just too many ticking clocks. It's crazy. Uh, all ticking clocks. All ticking clocks. No tension. It's like <laughs> at a Sal all. It's like a Salvador Dali painting. It is. Just, just melted, so many melted clocks, clocks just everywhere. Just sad and limp, hanging over everything. Here's one thing that I was like, what? She, she, as she's leaving the lab, is like, hey, can I borrow this screwdriver? It's a big scene. She's like, hey, can I borrow? And she shows this screwdriver to the camera. This screwdriver, and the guy's like, uh, yeah, I don't care, sure. And she puts it in her pants pocket, okay? Sure. Goes off to the hospital, immediately incapacitates the guard for the serial killer, and takes okay. his gun. So now she's got a weapon, right? Cool. Goes through this whole thing that I just described, saves her friend, well, thinks she saves her friend, finds the killer, killers the professor, nope, Killer is the professor and the professor's wife. Professor's wife shoots her nurse friend. Professor shoots his wife for no reason and then decides to now kill Tree. Okay? Sure. Tree gets... As they, you would. They have a scuffle. He's got a knife as well. They both get knocked out. She gets up and runs away. He is now chasing after her with her gun that she had. They go into, um, what is that, a CT scan room oh, in yeah, the hospital? Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. And he has her cornered. He's standing in front of the CT scan thing. She's standing, or she's sitting on the wall. She looks over, and there's a button to turn it on. And as we all know, it's a giant magnet. Yeah. 
So a wheelchair, she turns it on. A wheelchair flies across the room because that's how CT scan machines work. They're, sure. It would pull anything from like a 20-foot distance, apparently, into itself. Uh, he gets pinned against the machine. Ready for this? Stabs him with the screwdriver. Deuce ex screwdriver. <laughs> she pulls it out of her pants and then holds it and lets just, it go. And, and it just, just like right skewers him. That's now, cool. But okay, but here's the thing. I'll be okay. I'm okay with Why that. Why the fuck did she take that screwdriver? How the fuck did she know she was gonna end up there? This is literally the first time that that has happened. <laughs> so know, in my exactly in my mind, I'm like, what? Like that's why I said this isn't a movie. This is a series of scenes that the director were like, this would look cool if we did this. They totally wanted a third one, too, is what I hear. But Dude, based off the box office, there is not... a setup in the post-credit post scene There's a post -credit for scene? a third one. Yes, here it is. You ready? And then we can stop talking about this because I really want to talk about better things like Twilight Zone. Yeah. Here's the deal. Post-credit scene is... They're cleaning up trash around the campus as they as they have after they have successfully ended the time loop. Sure. Okay? Because that's their punishment for like rolling black. Nearly out destroying existence. Every, right. So they're all picking up trash together. A dude in a suit from DARPA shows up. Cool. Okay. And he's like, he has confiscated this time loop machine. But the government can't figure out how to make it work. Oh, but Asian friend and tree know how. So they recruit them. But before they start this time loop generator all over again, they need a test subject. To which tree says, I know the perfect person. And she picks the shitty girl from the fucking sorority. <laughs> really? Cut to her waking up in a bed like tree and insinuating that she is now stuck in her own time loop. Uh, yeah. I'm not on board with it. I'm so when Haley and I left, I was like, all right, fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on you. I'm fucking out of here <laughs> or the <laughs> other way around. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Yeah. And I told Haley, uh, we both agreed after looking. We're like, we're. I don't care how awesome this third one looks. We are not seeing this. I am not, not theater, giving them money. Yeah. Like I am telling, I'm speaking with my dollars that this franchise needs to be shut down stat. I mean, the third one may as well be called happy death day. Fuck you. Also, the entire movie is like a living cartoon. Really? That's I all heard I'm going to say like about it. Funny. Just straight up slapstick shark jokes. Fucking just I'm not sure if I want that. Dude, but then also death. Yeah. You need to watch it. Watch I mean, it. I'll watch it when I watch the other one when it came out. I'll watch yeah. this one when it gets to streaming. I'm not thrilled of what you've just told me. Um, Yeah, no. God. I just, I don't know. I know they want to make a third one. Based off the box office, though, this one may, who knows. I mean, everything at Blumhouse is made for like $5 million. So the fact that this even made like 10 or 11 is good. But I know it did not do anywhere near the opening that it wanted. I think it opened on a President's Day weekend at number five. Yeah, mm -hmm. on like the box office release. So it did. I mean, it's not it's not doing great. I hope it doesn't get another one. I, I just I I felt worry, so out of the loop because everyone was like, "Oh, the first one changed the game, and this one is even better." And 
I just there there's um Brett from the New Flesh podcast who I talk with on on Twitter also hated it. So I'm glad that you and him share the same opinion. No, it's fucking terrible, dude. So it's well, super good. terrible. Good. All right. Um, so, speaking of alternate dimensions, though, Q, do you want to go from something bad that we didn't like that honestly, given its premise, you probably should have liked because of what you like? Yes. And then now, Q. This week, and the reason we're having this topic in this conversation is because they released an actual for-real trailer for the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone streaming show that's coming Dude, out in April. You are not kidding, and boy, does it look great. Man, just – and I love the – one. I'll start off with just some of the familiar faces. I love to see Adam Scott in there. I love to see Kamal Nanjiani in there. I love to see that there's an airplane episode, possibly. Like, it feels like they're giving us some good nods to to kind of some history. But, man, it just looks... Everything about the trailer looks so intriguing. I agree. It has a, a very specific tone that I'm interested in. It's very different than the original Twilight Zone, but kind of echoes of the same. Like, it mm-hmm. feels like this very... Um, Twilight Zone always had this feeling of existing from another dimension. It kind of felt like something that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, the stories were strange. They often spoke out about like current climates in the country and around the world. Um, it dealt with some heavy subject matter in a way that you're like, I can't believe that like this didn't get shut down or questioned mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, but at the same time, it also felt very unique there was nothing that had really felt like that before um and i feel like this trailer has a very similar feeling um but i noticed something and i have a feeling a gut feeling that i shared with you and was kind of the genesis of us talking about this today and i am i'm I'm gonna tee you up on this cue is you told me this theory about watching this trailer that i don't Kind of blew my mind, and so I told you you had to say it on the podcast just so we can have it time-stamped and recorded before the show is aired. So if we predict this and you're right about this, someone does need to give us an award. For sure, 100%. So, Q, please tell me again and the audience listening and my mom about your theory for this new Twilight Zone series and so, how you imagine it coming together. So here's the deal. I obviously the whole show has been pitched and this very well still may be the case. And maybe I'm thinking too hard as I did earlier with the star is born description, but But you were right about that too. Hopefully maybe, maybe I'm reading more into it, but um, here's the deal after watching this trailer and I scoured the internet because I thought surely I can't be the only one who felt this way. The way the trailer was cut together makes it feel as if the Twilight Zone that is rebooting, or should I say they have been very strict to say reimagining have, in all of all of their press material says it's reimagined, looks like our stories that we're going to be getting may be existing in a shared Twilight Zone style universe, like a big <laughs> serialized season containing multiple stories that are happening in tandem with each other or simultaneously that may tie to each other individually. So instead of being a straight-up anthology series where each episode is different, episode to episode, and totally unconnected, I have a theory that what we're actually going to be getting is a connected season of episodes 
all existing within the alternate dimension that is the Twilight Zone. See, and that is extremely engaging and enthralling to me. So it's almost like you're saying, like the the seasons of Fargo that we have right now, the TV show, where each season is related to the other seasons tangentially somehow, even if very small. Yes. You're saying it's going to be like that, but on an episode-by-episode basis. So it's not the fact that each episode is taking place while another one is going on that matters, but just that it is. Right. Like, they're not going to be saying, like, well, what happens in the Adam Scott episode is going to be affecting what happens in the cop episode. But they will kind of fly by. Right. Because in my head, this also makes sense. Because the Twilight Zone as Rod Serling has put forth and as my intro so excellently described earlier. It did excellently describe it. The Twilight Zone exists in a dimension of itself. It is the Twilight Zone, and every story, and this was even laid out in the concept for the series originally, every story takes place within the Twilight Zone. So, I think... The big reveal is going to be that all of these episodes take place within the Twilight Zone, within their own continuity. Right. And we've had hints to this. And I think, God, and this is going to sound crazy. Do it, I'm going to take it a step further than what I told you earlier. I think they're going to be connected to the original series. Really? I now, think... Not, well, now, connected in a way of saying, like, a direct connect or, like, a thematic connect like i mentioned earlier i think there's an airplane episode where someone's having a panic attack uh-huh, on an airplane uh-huh. and that as the actually the one i'm going to reference i i don't think that's necessarily what's happening in this episode i think it we're being misled to think that sure there is a scene in the trailer that told me that i think it's connecting actually connecting to these earlier twilight zone episodes the scene of a small head of a doll washed up on a beach was the creature from uh the the episode with William Shatner the uh panic at 20,000 feet or oh so the doll that washed up was of the creature was the creature mm. uh-huh uh not only that but the little um, night, the nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Thank you. Uh, the nightmare at twenty thousand feet episode features a gremlin, and that gremlin, that doll looks almost identical to the gremlin that is seen in that episode. So that's connection one to the old series. I think they were dropping hints in this trailer. They're not Easter eggs. They're showing this connection. The second one is that you see. A um, you see a little fortune teller, and the fortune teller in this episode, um, is a um, is a little box with a devil head on it. Okay, okay, and it's it's a napkin right. dispenser basically. Um, that is from another William Shatner episode, weirdly enough, called Nick of Time. Okay. So I think these things actually ex- – like, the Twilight Zone is its own world that has been going on since 1959. And the things that happened in the Twilight Zone previously actually happened in this Twilight Zone pocket universe. 
Well, then I am very curious to see if you're correct on that. Because, one, I mean, as everybody knows that listens to the show, you are a huge Twilight Zone fan. Rod Serling is, you know, top echelon for you. Um, so if the, and Jordan Peele is also that for both of us. And so if we're looking at a, at a new series that honor, not only honors, but connects to the old series, that could be, that could be a gold mine of fun stuff for us to talk about. Not only that, but you ready for this? Here is, here's the crowning piece on top of all of this. Do it, do it. Hit me with it. It's dropping on April fool's day, April 1st. And I think because the big that is the big Twilight Zone Rod Serling esque twist that is going to be revealed is that we're going to get this entire season. And as people are watching it, they're going to be like, wait a minute. This is like referencing these old episodes, but not in an Easter egg fashion, as in a characters exist in this same world they know each other they have that's one of the i i wouldn't be surprised if one of them is like my grandfather had a freak out on an airplane (laughs) right yeah you know what i mean um but not directly or like my great-grandfather or a friend of a father's friend once had an anxiety attack on an airplane swear he saw gremlins you know what i mean like some sort of easter egg drop so that's my that's my theory i'm Based I mean, solely off of that trailer, I, I'm okay no with that. other reason, honestly, for thinking that maybe I have no reason to dispute you. I have no reason to argue. I just we will see on April first if that's the way that it comes out. I mean, but honestly, if we're, okay, you you sort of did a bridge for us. So the the new series you're hypothesizing is connected to episodes from the old series. Yes. So which episodes from the old series would be best? for us to connect to like when you think about that old show there are seasons upon seasons i mean we had shows in the 50s we have shows in the 60s and the 80s like where where should they focus their attention oh my god um well let's just start with this what are some of your favorite episodes of the twilight zone q because i can tell you some of mine okay um favorite episodes let's see uh one of mine is is a pitch for the angels oh wait, wait wait which one's that one uh, Pitch for the Angels has uh, God. What is the name of that actor? Um, uh, da, 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 da. Oh my God! Does, oh, Edwin. Thank you. Okay. The Mad Hatter from from uh, oh, Alice oh. in Wonderland. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fred Wynn plays a basically a tchotchke salesman who um, who is going to. Uh, die basically okay and is visited by death who tells him that he's going to die and um he instead decides to instead of accepting his fate he decides to um make a deal with death that if he can make a pitch for the heavens like the biggest pitch of his life, then he can die. Okay? Okay. But until he gets to do that, he has unfinished business. Is kind of his pitch. Okay. Um so death agrees. Um but says that now someone else has to die in his place once he finds a loophole cuz he's like I'll just never pitch again. And now right. I'm not going to die. So death says, 
somebody has to die in your place, and he chooses a little girl that lives in the same apartment building as Mr. Bookman. And the little girl is hit by a truck. Um, I think. No, yes, hit by a truck. And um, basically, death tricks Mr. Bookman again, and Mr. Bookman does a sales pitch for the girl's life to death as to why she should be spared. And he makes the best pitch of his life and agrees to die in her place. Nice. And so death ends up gets, gets what he wants. Yep. But nice. Nice. See, well that one, that one sort of reminds me of one that I liked a lot. Um, and this one's actually from one of the later seasons. So I don't know if you'll even count it, but uh, the dealer's choice episode. Mm-hmm. Do you remember with Morgan oh, yeah. Freeman? Oh yes, I love that one with M. Emmett Walsh and Morgan Freeman. Um, I've found out that was directed by Wes Craven. Yeah, and, so and I like that episode. That's that's deal. another one. Death in disguise, making a deal, playing a game. Exactly. But here's the deal. So that the 1985 series are kind of remakes of the original series. Several oh. of the episodes are in spirit kind of reimaginings of previous episodes. Oh, see, I didn't know that. So, so a lot of times if you like the stuff from the 80s series, you'll love the stuff from the 50s because they're originally not – and they're not necessarily straight interpretations or straight adaptations, but sure. they deal with the same themes. And actually, Dealer's Choice ties a lot to A Pitch for the Angels. I was about to say, was the one that I just picked the reimagined version of the yeah. one you picked? Yeah. Okay. Well, then I guess it, in line with that. When I said that it's related, well, then let's jump back in time. I'll pick one that I like from the original, uh, from the original run. Okay. One that I really love, and I think you'll understand why I like this one, is I love – the episode, The Invaders. Yes. When it's the old woman. and Because it's almost wordless. Yep. You know, and, and we talked about the BoJack Horseman episode that almost has no dialogue that's wonderful. But, yeah, the the old woman that's being tormented by these little miniature creatures. Like, me, 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 me. Yep. And then you find out. My favorite thing is the whole episode is just her being tormented by these little things. And then she finally, you know, gets back, chases them to their spaceship. And then the huge, great, amazing Serling reveal is that they were from Earth. And they're like, hey, don't go to that planet with giants. It's dangerous as shit. Totally. And I love, I love that that's the twist. Exactly. I love when there are twists like that. Like, like that one, I mean, I know that everyone on the planet probably knows Eye of the Beholder. The whole pig-faced um, doctor yeah. one. Yeah. That one is is classic. I mean, it's, it's hard a perfect- to talk about. It's hard to talk about that this show without mentioning that episode, but that one is the same type of twist where it's set in a way where everything is so familiar and the twist is that nothing is familiar. And you're actually witnessing a totally different world. race, culture, and, people. And, and well, no, they're still humans because they refer to themselves as humans. Oh, they do. So, so they take place. They are the humans of the Twilight Zone. Right. Okay. So, uh, because they say that they're humans and they live in a society where um, the world it has conformed, everybody mm-hmm. has conformity um, and uniformity, and those who do not look the same are basically ousted to live on an island by themselves. Oh, and right. with other hideous monster versions. Right. And, and these hideous monster versions beautiful. are just beautiful people. Yeah. Um, because like the title says, the eye of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Um, so that's a really great episode. Uh, one that's really, really good and is 
is probably more just a character study, honestly, is the monsters are due on Maple Street. I love that. I'm so glad you mentioned that one. Because that, to me, is sort of the quintessential theme of the Twilight Zone. That episode sort of encapsulates it as that we're our biggest monster. Yep. And as we kind of descend into chaos and panic and pointing fingers at each other and everybody turns on each other and then you get this awesome reveal of um an alien spaceship talking about it and they're basically saying how simple it is to just fiddle with these people's lives and it causes everybody to descend into panic and that is the way they're going to conquer the earth yeah well i love uh, the thing i love about that episode is that it starts off with you're so certain because the, the the humans are certain that it's aliens. Sure. And then you watch them kind of fall into depravity and anger and infighting. And then through the episode, you're like, well, this isn't aliens. They're just like rolling blackouts and they don't understand that. And then you get to the very end and the twist is, no, no, it really was aliens. And they were just going flip, 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 flip to the lights. Yep. Just to see what would happen. And yes. I, yes, that's why I love that episode. I'm so glad you brought that one up because even the title of it, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, is just so it, – it's like waiting for Guffman but a sci-fi version of that. It's watching a town wait for something they're anticipating and falling apart because of it. And in Waiting for Guffman, it's a celebrity and it's a comedy. And in this one, it's Aliens and it's Twilight Zone. But I love that that element of let's watch people – reacting to anticipation and again i just think that the monsters are due on maple street is so emblematic of what serling was trying to accomplish with the show is that there definitely was an alternate reality truth going on but it also spoke so accurately about life and society at the same time yep i like one um there's there's actually another one that's very similar to that that i really like um but it's I can't remember if it's just called masks or the masks or the masks we wear or something, but it's the one about the dude who gives his family members the masks that turn them into hideous creatures. It's it's called the masks. Oh, it's called the, okay. The masks. Uh I love that. That one's similar to the, to the theme we were just talking about. It's that, you know, you're going to do this seemingly innocuous thing, but it's going to reveal your true human nature. Exactly. It's the masks we wear. Yeah. So it is, it is, that is a heavy, and that's kind of the thing is a lot of times, more often than not, in most of the Twilight Zones, the themes were people were the monsters. Yeah. It often put a reflection back on ourselves of we are our own worst enemy. We are the source of our own fears. Right. Um, and that's why, if we're going to get super heady into it, if you break down the opening monologue for the Twilight Zone, it says that the Twilight Zone exists between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge, meaning that everything that happens within the Twilight Zone is only within the boundaries of man's mind. Yeah. So everything is done by ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... It's always going to be these reflections of us. Right. And... So I've loved that. I always thought that that was an amazing storytelling, um, I don't want to say gimmick, but an amazing storytelling angle. Right. Um, and I think it provides some amazing things. It Now, here's one thing that I do want to um, 
kind of reference during our Twilight Zone talk is a lot of people don't realize that many, 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 many movies have been influenced by the Twilight Zone. And some of them take direct story points from Twilight Zone episodes. A lot of people were like, oh, this movie did this first. And it's like, no, 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 no. Rod Serling did that first back right. in the 60s. You I'm know what curious I mean? where you're going to go with this because I have an example of one of the episodes I like that um, that aligns directly with this. Um, so one um, that is, is kind of a big one, um, but not, not a... Uh, a huge thing, I guess, um, is Button Button. Uh, Button Button was turned into The Box. That oh, was directed yeah. by, uh, was it Richard Kelly? Yeah, I think it was. Um, and basically is if you were gifted a box that could make your dreams come true, you could basically push this button, but it would cause catastrophe somewhere right. else. Right. And you don't know where. And you you're not related what, to it, but something happening. very bad is going to happen, and you are the cause of it, basically. Yeah. That's one. Uh, another big one is for a movie that's coming out very soon, one of my most anticipated movies oh, uh, yeah. of Us. Oh. Us is uh, inspired by a Twilight Zone episode. Is it called, really? Which one? Called Mirror Image. Oh, I don't. I don't think I ever knew this. Yep. And Jordan Peele's actually spoken about it. He asked his cast to watch this episode prior to filming the movie, Makes because sense. now while it's not a direct story lift, sure, the feeling is what he's right. trying to invoke. And the the mirror image episode is about a woman who basically runs into her doppelganger. And is trying to figure out what the intent, why this person exists. Is she going insane? Is the doppelganger real? Is somebody trying to take over her life? Like, what is happening? And it's a really, really good episode that I highly, highly recommend everybody watch. Um, so that's that's another one. Uh, well, what do I was, you? Ha- I was gonna say the one that I thought you were gonna mention that um, that you didn't was Living Doll. Oh yeah. The idea of a child's doll coming, not like coming to life. I'm using sure. air quotes to then terrorize a family. I mean, that's done over and over and over and over and over again. We've got three Annabelle movies or whatever about that. Um, <laughs> sure. I mean, this is way before Chucky. This is way before all of that. The other one that I was going to mention though is it's a good life, where oh, yeah. it's the small town that's run by a boy with psychic powers. Yep. The whole the boy or child with psychic powers that controls adults. That story has been retold a billion times over, but it really like that episode, I think is one of the encapsulations of like, just look at what this community goes through by being terrorized by a kid. 100%. Absolutely. Um, There's, I mean, there's, there's literally, there's lists of these things that exist on the internet. People should 100% go check it out. I mean, there's there's tons. Twilight Zone is a quintessential quintessential inspiration for film. Um, one uh, a movie that came out a while back was Ruby Sparks. Oh, I remember Ruby Sparks. That's the one about the uh, that was Not the novelist who writes his dream girl into existence. Yes. Well, that is directly lifted from a episode called A World of His Own of the Twilight Zone from 1960 where a writer does the same thing. He uses a um, 
he uses a dictation machine to basically breathe life into his creation. Obviously, they don't have the same outcomes. Sure, uh, sure. But but that's I mean that's a that's a huge one. That is definitely a huge one. Um, well, well, hold on, Q. Let me pause you for a second because you said something that I think we should key in on, and and it gives us kind of a transition point. Is you said there are a lot of these that people should go back and watch. So yep. for me, we've got the Twilight Zone show coming out, the new version in a month or so. Uh-huh. Actually, in exactly a month from today when this episode will be releasing, because this is coming out on March 1st. Exactly a month from today, new Twilight Zone episodes are hitting the stands. Everybody yes. knows about, you know, Nightmare on 20,000 Feet. There's something on the wing. Sure. Everyone knows about that. Everyone knows about Time Enough at Last where dude breaks his glasses. And he's like, why? But I had time now. I had time now. Yeah. Everyone knows that, that one. Everyone yeah. knows Eye of the Beholder, the, ugh, the yeah. pig faces. Right. But there are a lot that people don't know. And there are a lot that may not come to mind when people think Twilight Zone. Okay. So Q, we gonna, am I making our, a list? Yes. As our as our Rod God expert. Yes. You need to lead us into a list of the top five episodes people need to watch to prepare for the new Twilight Zone show. We will enter the list. This is where we do the list. This is where we make a list. The list. Three, two, list. Okay. Okay. So, Q, let me throw out the – you're going to lead this train because you know more about these than I do. But let me throw out the ones that I think should at least be considered. Okay. I love The Invaders, so I would vote for that one. And then also one that I didn't even mention yet, but that I love because it serves as the basis of one of my favorite Simpsons gags – is to serve man. Okay. I love to serve man. I don't sure. know why. I no, I do know why. And you know why too. It's because it's a 30 minute pun. Sure. To serve man is a 30 minute long pun set in the world of Twilight Zone. And I sure. love everything about that. Sure, 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 sure. <clears throat> but Q, when you're putting together like like let's say you don't know me, and I yep. come up to you on the street and I say, Hey, you look like someone who knows a lot about Twilight Zone. I've never seen a Twilight Zone episode, but I want to watch this new show coming out. Where should I start? Um, okay, so among with among the episodes that I first you know listed to you, or the the ones you just listed, um, because those are definitely ones that you should watch. Um, Time enough at last is absolutely one of my favorite episodes ever. Um, but af- aside from that, I would say a stop at Willoughby. Okay. Is a very very important, well done episode. Um, it's about a man um, who basically um, who basically escapes to um, it, an idyllic world of his of his childhood, basically. Oh. Um, but obviously things are not as they seem, and I don't want to like. I'm about to say yeah, don't spoil. I don't want to spoil yet. it. Um, but it's about an advertising executive who basically gets pushed to the brink of his life and wants to get away. And he stops at a place called Willoughby. Oh. And and things happen. Um, it's very, very good. Um, let's see here. I would say, oh, boy, God, there's so many. Um, the Hitchhiker 
is probably a really a really quintessential one. Okay. Um, it has a different tone than a lot of them. Uh, the Hitchhiker uh, is about a uh, woman who is driving cross co- cross country uh, from Manhattan to Los Angeles on vacation, and along the way, she starts to be beset by the same hitchhiker appearing over and over. I and think over you again. and I have talked about this episode on the show before. Yep. That one sounds very familiar. It is. Very good and very unsettling. Um, So let me read back what I've got so far, and you can see, kind of feel like what's missing. Um, Sure. Like, stop at Willoughby, time enough at last, the invaders, the hitchhiker, to serve man, and then um, that's where we are. Should we add the monsters due on Maple Street? Yes. Yes. I mean, because I know it's, th- it's hard just not to include like the night- nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Um, I know, but I'm trying to think of ones that people haven't seen. Right. It's what about it's a good life. Ooh, I'll, okay. I, I had mentioned that one, and I really like that one. I think that that has some good terror on it. Um, that one has a very interesting thing that's been rolled many times into other modern movies and stories about a. Uh, people that are that are terrorized by a boy, right? Basically, yeah. Um, so I think that one's good. God, and I'm gonna leave. I know time enough at last. Everyone knows, but I'm gonna leave that one on there because it's just so good. It is, and it's and it's a perfect example of that Twilight twist, that Twilight yeah. Zone twist. You know what I mean? Um, bu- 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 where are we at now? What do we got? Uh, we've got like eight. <laughs> okay. Read them, read them back read, to me. Well, uh, we've got seven. I'll read we the sh- seven that we have. We should probably narrow from the seven yeah. because otherwise uh, this could go on forever. I know. I know. So our recommendation is watch all the Twilight Zone episodes. But if you're going to narrow it down to five, we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give them to you. So we have Time Enough at Last, yes. A Stop at Willoughby, The Invaders, The Hitchhiker, To Serve Man, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, and It's a Good Life. Are there any of those that you think quality wise we could nix or like, is it going to be like between the invaders and to serve man? Cause those are both kind of th- alien based. I think it would have to be between the invaders and to serve. Man. Okay. Then I would vote for the invaders. Just, okay. I think it's a I would better also vote for more the emblematic episode. I agree. All right. So now we need to get rid of one more and, one more time. What are they? Time enough at last. Uh-huh. Stop at Willoughby. Uh-huh. The Invaders. Uh-huh. The Hitchhiker. Uh-huh. Monsters are due on Maple Street, and it's uh-huh. a good life. As our resident Twilight Zone expert, which of those six all isn't right. up to the level of all the others? Let's do this. If we're, if I'm removing one for people who have never seen a Twilight Zone episode. I would take off Time Enough at Last, even though it's one of my favorites. Okay. But because it exists in the pantheon of pop culture so heavily. It does. And I would prefer they watch one that they hadn't seen. So I would just remove Time Enough at Last okay. to make space for the others. So now we have five. I Of these five, I mean, for me personally, I've seen, at, I think, three of these. Um I would put Monsters Do on Maple Street as number one. I think it's just super emblematic of the show. I agree. I will agree with that. After that, 
I'm going to kind of rely on you. <laughs> I would put um, It's a Good Life as number two. Oh, really? Okay, awesome. Good call. I would only because that is another one that has permeated such pop culture stuff. A lot of tropes come yeah. from that episode. So I think that's kind of a, a big one. So between Stop It Willoughby, The Invaders, and The Hitchhiker, which one's three? Probably Stop It Willoughby. Okay. Then The Invaders, and then The Hitchhiker. Perfect. I love it. So let me, here's, I'll recap the definitive top five episodes of Twilight Zone that you people should need watch. to watch. Yes. So number five, The Hitchhiker. Number four, The Invaders. Number three, A Stop at Willoughby. Number two, It's a Good Life. And number one, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. And all of these, by the way, can be found on Netflix. Yep, it's all streaming on Netflix. Go watch it. Don't just watch these five. Start with these five. Watch all of the episodes of yes, Twilight Yes, especially Death. from the 50s and 60s run. Take them all in. Do the 80s run when you get done. I don't think those are streaming anywhere, but you could probably find them on the YouTube. I'm sure you can. At least you can find the Joe Dante. Did you ever see the Joe Dante episode, Shadow Man? I did. Uh -huh. That one's fun. I like Joe Dante. It is fun. Um... Also, watch the Twilight Zone movie. That's some, like, weird, campy fun. Yeah. Um, Look into the backstory of that movie. Some people died on set. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Watch the new season when it drops uh, April 1st. We definitely will be. Um, and then, Jay, I'm going to be honest. I didn't get to talk nearly as much as I wanted to about Rod Serling himself. So I think at some point you and I need to come back again and have a Rod Serling related chat Done. so i can tell Let's you all of the amazing fascinating things that this man has been a part of that people may not realize you know what we'll do how about this in april when the season actually starts we'll yep. have a, a top five rod serling projects episode oh i love that and you can tell us his backstory his history his influences and the top five things he's ever done love it love it and Let's then do so it. Yeah, watch Twilight Zone on uh, Netflix. And then, guys, follow us. You know, uh, follow us on SoundCloud, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, on Spotify, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Shoot us a, a five star rating. Just, you know, spread the word. This is a show that we love, that we, you know, we love loving movies and we want you to love movies. And it's okay to love movies. So we're going to keep talking about it. Keep joining us every Friday or whenever you listen. I don't care. And then tell your <laughs> friends. Tell your friends and get them on board. We need more fivers. We want to take the show on the road. We want to give it some legs, and we need your help. So hide your kids. Do this. Hide your husbands. Hide your wives. High We're fives coming, coming for, for you. you. The end. Bye. You are now leaving the Twilight Zone. We have reached the end of another High Five, the podcast episode. It's time to lock up the writer's room and rest comfortably knowing we knocked out another great list of things you should be watching. If the guys didn't mention your favorites this week in their lists, you can harass them by emailing them at myfive at highfivethepodcast.com. That's M-Y-F-I-V-E at H-I-G-H-F-I-V-E-T-H-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Got that? or connecting with them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash high five the podcast on Twitter at high the number five the podcast Instagram at high five the podcast or on letterboxd by searching high five colon the podcast 
Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen to podcasts and drop the show a five-star rating to show us some love. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) Moving the headstones but not moving the bodies? (laughs) Maybe. See you next week. And that's a wrap, everybody. Cut, Casper. That's a wrap. Cut, printed. What happens in the next reel? Cut. Okay, that's a print. Okay, cut. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, people. Now let's get the hell out of here.